Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, if you're joining us here on, on our campus or you're uh, online out there in Cyberville, um, we're just really glad to, that you're a part of us. Welcome to Sunridge. And if you don't know who I am, I'm Britt. I serve the church here as a lead pastor, and I would love to be the first person to welcome you, your first time here at Sunridge. Um, Webster's Dictionary, remember that? Remember when you used to have that big red book so you could look up words? Um, It defines the state of being stuck is to find oneself baffled, unable to proceed. You know, it's that feeling when you're making your third wordle guess. Everybody gets stuck. People get stuck in their career. They, can't, they just can't seem to get the position that they want or they can't get that next click forward. People get stuck in their education. They can't complete a course because they can't get over that one class. It just proves to be their nemesis. Athletes get stuck. They just get kind of in a rut and they can't hit or run or do the things that they did before and they're just stuck. We get stuck in our marriage, right? We, we don't know how to work out our conflict sometimes, and we just seem to be after each other, and we don't know what to do. We're stuck. Sometimes we get stuck on a diet. We can't get rid of that last 10 pounds. And uh, sometimes as parents, we get stuck. You know, we have a, a child that we just can't reach, and we can't understand them. And often we get stuck financially, don't we? It's like there's just no matter how often you think that, oh, man, we finally got that nest egg, we're finally getting ahead, and then, boom, that bill surprises you, and there it goes again. You're just stuck. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about stuckness in virtually all of those areas that I just mentioned, but there's another area that we get stuck in that seems to affect all these others, and it's to be stuck in your spiritual life, and that seems to just trickle into every part of our lives. You know, being stuck spiritually is no fun, is it? The the life of faith that that should be this thing that is vibrant in your life can feel stale at times. And the faith that is supposed to give you this clear direction in life can, you can end up confused and feeling adrift. The faith that's supposed to fill us up and give us satisfaction And life can sometimes feel like we're just kind of empty inside. And the faith that's supposed to direct us and give us a reason to be here on this planet, sometimes we feel purposeless. And so it just kind of like breaks down personally when we're stuck spiritually. We just feel like I'm not the person I really want to be, and and I'm not where I expected that I would be. I've lost my passion and I really don't know what to do next. I just feel stuck. 
I have good news for you. I didn't try to depress you just right now. You can get unstuck. And unstuck, to be unstuck, is defined as becoming freed or loosened from being stuck. So our main thought today, as we step into this series, is you don't have to stay stuck. The Apostle Peter, that Simon Peter, you know, one of the 12, that Peter, the one that fumbled around for most of his life with Jesus. He said he'd never be the one who forsook Jesus and then promptly set out to do so. He wanted to walk on water but soon sank. He drew his sword when he was supposed to sit back. He was noncommittal when Jesus asked him if he loved him. He was often stuck. And God taught him a lot in that stuckness. He learned his lessons the hard way, but he emerged eventually as a leader in the first century church. And so he wrote two letters. We looked at one. We studied one a number of months ago, 1 Peter we called it countercultural, and we're just taking a little section out of this letter in this series, his second letter. With all the mistakes and the experiences that Peter had as life lessons, along with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes about how to get unstuck. And what does Peter say about our capacity, no matter what we face, no matter what challenges we have, our capacity to thrive spiritually, it's right here, just as Pete read. Second Peter 1, 3, he says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter says, we have everything we need to thrive. And then he reminds them of three things. Number one... He says, we have his divine power, theos dunamis. We have God's dynamite. Number two, he says, we have his calling. He called us by his glory and goodness. In other words, he chose us. When, he, when Peter says he called us, God chose people to become part of his family. Not because they're worthy, not because they were the best of his choices, but because of his own glory and his goodness. And then number three, Peter reminds them that we have his promises, God's promises. In verse four, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. The word great here is mega, and precious is costly. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter says, he reminds them, you have God's power, you have his calling, and you have his promises, so that, in verse 4, through them, you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, to live the life that God has designed for each of us to live. We are designed as human beings. We are we are made in the image of God. We are designed by and for God and for his glory, and we have everything we need to do that, to live out the divine nature. Now, that's pretty heady stuff, right? And I'm thinking, how do I keep my spiritual life together with everything in the world that's working against me? 
Peter says, you have what you need to do it. But I wonder, like, do I really? Am I living that life? Am I able to pass that kind of faith on to my kids, to my family? Am I able to live it out in the place that I work and in my community and my relationships? Especially with how things are so stacked against me in living this way. How in the world am I going to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world that is caused by my own desires? How in the world am I going to not get stuck when I have the capacity as a human being to undermine myself? So, so Peter starts here by reminding them and so reminding us that we have everything we need. Whose power do we have? God's. This is the, yeah, this is the participation part of the day. Whose calling do we have? God's. Whose promises do we have? Okay, so let's say that together. I have God's power. I have God's calling. I have God's promises. Yeah. As he writes this, I think Peter must be remembering all the times that he failed. He must be remembering all the times that he thought, all of this depends on me. Somehow I end up with this radical rabbi, and he's telling me that I've got to do what he did. I have to do his works, and I'm going to go out into the world and make disciples, make other followers of this rabbi. And Peter often thinks, as you know, that he, he had to do that in his own strength. And so as I mentioned, when he sets out to walk on the water, this guy, he's going for it. And in verse uh, 31 of Matthew 14, he starts to sink, and immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, and he said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You thought that this is all on you. Peter and, and the others get ambushed after a prayer meeting in the garden, and so he draws out his sword, and he starts swinging. And in Matthew 26, verse 53, Jesus said, Don't you think I can call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know what he says? I got this, Peter. Now, I know a lot of you, when I started talking about being stuck, you immediately started to feel guilty because you know you're stuck and you were looking a few rows ahead of you comparing yourself to that super saint that's just sitting just a few rows up which is you know as you sit in the back spiritual level increases as you move toward the front you didn't know that right <laughs> so none of you are at my level yet you got to move up you you started thinking you know like i've got to live up to something that someone else is expecting me to do. It might be my wife. It might be my grandma. It might be my husband. It might be the preacher. You're, try, you're stuck in your marriage. And you're just looking around and you're thinking, everybody else's marriage at your church is going so well, and you're wondering if you guys aren't going to kill each other this week. And you're sitting there in your chair today, and you're thinking, your kid is the only one that never wants to read his Bible. 
or go to youth group. And you're sitting there thinking that everybody else is just waiting with bated breath for the next thing I'm going to say. Okay, you may not think that. But you feel spiritually dry inside. But you would never talk about it. Because at your life group or with your friends, they just they talk about Jesus so enthusiastically. And you think, man, I just, I'm not on that page right now. So here's what I want everyone to hear who feels stuck right now. When you're stuck, I mean when you're really stuck, can you rescue yourself? No. So what are you going to do? What can you do? You know, when I was a battalion chief with the fire department, (laughs) I was going to a small fire. It was under two acres, but it was next to a housing tract that was going to be threatened if this fire really got to take off. And uh, here's what happened to me. Yeah, oops. It's pretty embarrassing. So I got stuck because I was looking at other things other than what I should be looking at at the time. And I got stuck because I got distracted by these things that were further down the road for me rather than focusing on the thing that was right in front of me, the most important thing, which was to actually get there. Now, you may, you may look at that and go, you know, that makes me not have a lot of confidence in you, Britt. Like, how could that happen <laughs> to a fire chief? Well, here's another angle. I'm going to give you another picture so that you can get a better picture of what you're doing. So, if you, if you could really blow that picture up, you could see there's this little bit of smoke coming around the corner there. But can you see that there was a road a dirt road that I was driving on, and so I'm looking ahead at the fire that I'm about to go to and command, and I missed what was right in front of me. Can can you see how that could happen? That my vision was too far in the future, right? And that made me miss what was right in front of me. Let me ask you something. You ever do that? with your life? You ever put your eyes on other things? Maybe important things, but, on the, but not on the one thing that you should be looking at right now. You ever look so far into the future, concerned about all the things that might happen, that could happen, that very well look like they are going to happen, and that creates anxiety in you? and you miss what's going on right now, this moment in your life, you know, that often leads to getting stuck. Not just to battalion chiefs going to fires, to regular people. Now, how was I going to get myself out? By the way, as I got out of my vehicle in humiliation, and I did continue to command the fire, even though I didn't get to it, which, you know, it, it proves that there are, the, um, that there's actually, they talk about a fire, um, 
tetrahedron. There's three things you have to do to eliminate fire, fuel, heat, or oxygen. Get, get rid of any of those and the fire goes out. There's one other thing. Get rid of the chief and the fire will go out. <laughs> so while I was standing there humiliated after I tried to get my vehicle out, a deputy sheriff drove by and he stopped and started taking pictures <laughs> and laughing at me and uh, said some derogatory things about firemen. And then he got in his vehicle and drove off. And that's all the help I got. So it was a great moment for me. And he told me that he was going to show all those pictures to the police headquarters there that I was working near. So how did I get out? How do you think I got out? Someone help me. I called a tow truck, right? Yeah. God is your tow truck. I'm not trying to be too corny here, but you have to call for him when you're stuck. When you're stuck, you have to give him your heart, your attention, your devotion, and your trust to get you out of your stuckness. So if you're stuck right now, listen to me. Don't, oh no, don't listen to me, listen to Peter. You have his power, you have his calling, and you have his promises. But does that mean that if I'm stuck, I just sit back, relax, and wait on God? Well, it might. That might be the very thing to do, wait on the Lord. But I don't think the idea here is that God has given us everything that we need for a godly life means that I have no responsibility. At some point, I have skin in the game. So Peter is at writing, and thus God is not saying, I gave you faith, now the rest is up to you. No, and, no he's saying, I'll do it, but you need to follow my instructions. Because when I show up, you don't direct the tow truck driver who's pulling you out. You just stand back and get out of their way, right? And that's why Peter says what he says in these next few verses. In verses 5 through 7, he says in verse 5, for this very reason, because you have God's power and his promises and his calling, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So in other words, for the very reason that you have faith, because you have faith, add to your faith. You have some things that you're concerned about, but what's right in front of you right now? God has given us what we need, so we should make every effort. And when it comes to remaining on track or being spiritually unstuck, God is saying you have to put some sweat equity into this. He's saying this is my plan to help you and here's what I want you to do. You have faith. You have everything you need. So I want you to do something with what you have. What is that? Let's look again in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, 
and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. In other words, don't leave your faith alone. Faith alone saves, but it is not meant to stand alone. There are seven words that stand out from this passage. They are the ads. You have faith. You have power. You have promises. You have calling. Now add to that faith these seven things. They're they're known as virtues by some scholars. So you have faith, but you're stuck. Or Or you don't want to get stuck. And Peter says, this is what you need to put your attention into. And so often we say, but God, you know, I want to handle this. I have other things that I'm interested in. And I think that this is the way for me to get unstuck. And God says, no, we have seven lost virtues to pursue. They follow faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Have you ever heard this saying about like not just spiritual life but almost everything in life that one of the reasons we get stuck is we stop doing the things we used to do? We get stuck not always because we haven't been doing anything. We may have been doing a lot, but we haven't been doing the most important thing. Your football coach says to you, you need to work on your strength and your lateral speed. And you'd say, but I want to play Madden all day. You you know, you say, well, you know, I do not know why my marriage has become so stale. And yet, you don't go on dates anymore. You don't give compliments. You don't give flowers. You don't give a little smoochy smooch or a hug. You say, man, I don't know why I keep gaining weight that I didn't have before. But you stopped being active, stopped exercising, stopped working in the yard. And you say, well, you know, I don't know why my spiritual life has become so dry. But when you step back, you realize all the things that you stopped doing. You stopped learning. You stopped being a part of a group discussion in some format. You stop coming to church at all. You stop coming to church with a real purpose other than just being entertained or being able to sit quietly while someone else is watching your children. Be honest, especially if you feel stuck right now. Are there things that have become more important to you than these seven virtues? which, by the way, are all virtues that describe Jesus. The reason why we lose our purpose and we become stale spiritually is often because we get distracted, someone hurts us, we get weary, we become unmotivated, we pursue lesser things or with less priority, And then sometimes we pursue destructive things. So we lose our way. We get stuck. 
And that's why over the next seven weeks, we're going to take one of these virtues each week and talk about it. Now, you might be sitting there asking yourself, you're going to talk about one word for an entire message? Yep. Because they're that important. And Peter says here that they are the key to having a vibrant spiritual life. Now, in the notes, I said that these are lost virtues. You'll see why in a second. But look at what Peter says about these seven. In verse 8, he says, If you possess these qualities, these seven virtues, in increasing measure, that it means superabounding, always growing in these things, in increasing measure, what will happen? They will keep you from being ineffective, which is useless, can even mean unemployed, and unproductive, which can, is literally barren, fruitless. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection? If these things, through my pursuit, become an increasing measure, because I'm making every effort to pursue them, Peter says that prevents ineffectiveness and unproductivity. If these grow in us, we become effective and fruitful, in other words. Peter says that if these Christian virtues, if, we, if a Christian pursues these virtues in a way that they continue to grow in them, you will not get stuck. They are like miracle grow for a Christian. You guys know what miracle grow is? It is the secret that if you and your family are growing tomatoes in competition to one another, which I may have heard some families that did this, if you have miracle grow, you're going to win. Until they all find out your secret that you have miracle grow. And then one day you're mowing your mom's lawn and it's early in tomato season and you go by and her tree is, her bush is full of these tomatoes. And you're shocked and you turn off your lawnmower and you open your mom's slider. You're like, Mom, how can your tomatoes have grown? <laughs> She had gotten those ones on the vine and tied them on to her tomato plant. She just thought that was so funny that she got me. There was some serious competition in our family. Now, these virtues for us, they're not dependent on how famous you are on TikTok or Instagram. They're not dependent upon whether you live in Temecula, Marietta, or Menifee, or anywhere else. They're not dependent upon your age. They're not dependent upon what political party you belong to. They're not dependent upon what neighborhood you live in. They're not dependent upon whether you're a mom, dad, grandparent, or single and ready to mingle. And they're not, de they're not dependent on whether you're currently experiencing all kinds of success in your life, or, man, you're just trying to scratch for everything that you're getting right now. We have everything we need, but we need to be focused on the things that are most important, regardless of where we are and who we are. So, 1 Peter says, if you pursue these virtues in a relentless way, you will be effective and productive. 
Then he looks at that idea from kind of an opposing vantage point. What if you don't pursue them? What will happen then? What will be the result? And that's why I called them the lost virtues. Because in verse 9 he says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So to not pursue these, if, that, if we don't do that, then Peter, number one, he compares it like, to having bad eyesight. How many of you like, are using readers now? Okay, yeah. Me too. And I remember the day I first realized that I needed them, and I had to change some behaviors because I couldn't see what I used to be able to see. And then secondly, he compares it to being forgetful. He says, you forget that you were cleansed from your past sins. In other words, you forget what God has done. Now, you know what I've noticed about myself? That I'm losing my vision and I'm forgetting things more and more. How soon is it that a Christian forgets that they needed cleansing? and then starts to focus on the dirt that other people have. Now, this is, this is important, so we need to catch this. The way Peter talks about the loss of sight and forgetfulness here, he's, he's saying that they once had this, and so these are lost virtues, or they're eroding virtues in their life. When, with sight, you used to see good, now you don't. With being able to remember things that were super important for you to remember, now you're forgetful. But you used to know it. Now track with me. Who loses their eyesight? Who starts to get forgetful? What time in your life does that start to kick in? Now if you're under 30, you don't even get to answer this question. Isn't it mostly associated with age? Now don't get offended. I just want you to relate. So isn't it true that there are just some maladies, some, some illnesses that are more of a risk to those of us who are more seasoned in life? Like COVID. Who, who has to get colonoscopies? Who gets shingles? Who's susceptible to pneumonia? Who starts to lose their sight and needs readers? And who stands in a room trying to remember why they came into that room? (laughs) That's why I call them lost virtues. Now, what I'm not saying here, and I don't think Peter's saying this either, is that old people are the ones that are at risk to get stuck. At least not not exclusively. But I think that it's true that the longer you're a Christian, the more susceptible you are to settling into a life of fruitlessness. Do you remember when you decided to say yes to Jesus? How does your enthusiasm for the things of God compare to that now? Here's what I'm saying. 
And I think Peter is reinforcing this. If you've been a Christian a while, you're more susceptible to getting stuck. You may just be more aware that you're stuck, but I think that, you're, that we're also more at risk. You're at risk for not seeing the things that used to see so easily. And you're at risk for forget, to, to forget the things that you once remembered as most important. Now, just like someone who's 20 can't even relate to having arthritis, to having nests of readers all around the house, having to write stuff down so that you don't forget it right in the middle of the conversation when somebody's telling you something, I want to be clear here about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're older and a Christian, you're at risk. You may be. What I'm saying is the longer you're a Christian, the more susceptible you are. So this could apply to you if you're middle-aged plus, yes. But it could also apply if you became a Christian at six and now you're 16 and you've lost your fire for Jesus and you can't figure out why and you're just stuck. And what's interesting about this is that you're probably still serving, you're still attending church regularly, which means like once a month, and you're doing stuff, but deep inside, the flames are dwindling. Because we can do all the right stuff and still become stuck. And that's what I think John, the apostle, is capturing when he writes in, in Revelation words to the church at Ephesus. A great church, by the way. And in Revelation 2, verse 2, he says, I know this is angel speaking to this church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured, endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he's saying, there's all these wonderful things about you. I know this about you. And these words indicate that there's deep experience, there's time as believers, there's solid years. But look, in verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Can you relate? If you've been married 20 plus years, can you relate? You're doing all the right stuff? But sometimes the fire isn't there. And for any Christian, some of us, we're, we're doing all the right things. We're doing lots of religious stuff. But we're stuck. Do you want to stay there? Do you want the fire to return to your faith? Do you want the joy? Do you want the thrill of being a Christian? Look at these last couple of sentences of encouragement from Peter, and then we're done. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is like a coach's speech. This is a wrap-up 
to what Peter's been saying in this section of his letter. And he's basically saying, affirm your conversion, your true and genuine conversion. Affirm it by pursuing these virtues. Go back to the basics and pay attention to the most important things. And if you do, you will not stumble. You won't get stuck. And you will assure yourself a thrilling welcome from Jesus when you enter heaven. In this final word of encouragement to pursue these virtues, Peter addresses two sides of this. He addresses the earthly side, which has to do with my, my feeling of purpose and sense of enthusiasm for what God is doing in my life today here on this planet. And then when I walk into heaven, into eternity, a rich welcome by Jesus. And so the question we have is like, what do we want our lives to look like today? And can we imagine enough forward to entering heaven at the end of our lives and what Jesus is going to say? I'm going to ask the band to come up now, and I just want to make this one final point. Pursuing these virtues assures a vibrant and fruitful faith. That's what Peter says. Now, I'm not like, I don't, I don't like to do these guarantees from the Bible. It's like, you do this, then that. I know that that can be problematic. But I just want you to look at what Peter's saying here. I can definitely say that, you, that we won't have a faith that's vibrant and fruitful if we don't pursue them. Because we are either are or we are not pursuing the character of Jesus. We might be doing good things. We might be serving. We might be giving. We might be doing religious things and checking all the boxes that our church and our pastors want us to check. But if I feel stuck and drained and stale, if that describes you, I want you to stick with us through this series. And if you're thriving spiritually right now, this is preventative. I want you to think about the weight of Peter's words because I know, I know you know that you want your faith to make a difference today. When you wake up, when you, when you go to work, when you walk into the kitchen with your kids and you're going to make them breakfast before school, faith can give you a vibrancy in doing these just day-to-day -day things, and it's meant to. But Peter also has the foresight to cause us to imagine what heaven is going to be like. And when we enter and we meet Jesus face to face, and in doing so, he wants us to know that when we're there, he wants us to be able to walk into heaven and look back with confidence, not that we were perfect, but to look back and say, my times on earth, I was focused on the things that mattered. I didn't just do a lot of good stuff, but I was focused on the main things. And I didn't let those things get lost in the, in the hustle of life. I didn't get distracted from the character that Jesus wanted me to exemplify in the world, his character and his virtues. In that moment, will be amazing. So join us for the next six weeks as we look at each one of these virtues and drill down deep to talk about what they really mean, what they really look like, and where they come from. Let's add to our faith 
because everything depends on it. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.